Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. With us, a good friend of Landmark and a good friend of so many here in the body of Landmark, Brother Daniel Buford. And, uh, he has served in a lot of different roles. I believe he's associate editor of, uh, well, I, it was PPH. It's now P- Pentecostal Resources Group. So doing a bit of a rebranding there. and um, But he's had such a great impact on on that side of things, the, uh, uh, the editorial side of things, and also a great writer and great speaker. We're always excited to have him with us. And... Um, and him and his wife both, I've been able, I've had the privilege to work with both of them uh, directly. Um, he's was one of my bosses, sort of, uh, back in the day. Uh, I had a lot of bosses at headquarters, but um, but uh, but it was always a pleasure to work with him on, on uh, different projects. And then also his wife, and we miss her today, but um, a, uh, working with her in ladies' ministry has always been a pleasure. It's um, just such a heart and passion for uh, for the ministry and, and the work that they're doing. Um, every time we have those calls, you know, it's not normally very often that you get on a call with a client for work and you start the, the call with prayer, uh, but Sister Buford is always starting calls off like that, and a lot of times we'll end the call with prayer, and just it, it just helps to refocus us and make sure we are uh, have our right priorities and everything in what we're doing. So I'm so thankful for them and all that they do, and we just would like to have him come and preach the word to us today. Amen. Thank you so much, Brother Burke. God bless all of you. That wonderful worship singing, I lost my voice. <clears throat> Thank you, team, for doing that with such excellence. Uh, I think it should be done with excellence when anyone is carrying us into the presence of the Lord. But you all did a remarkable job. Thank you all. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm glad to be in the house of God today. And I know that when your pastor and first lady are gone, you miss them, of course, and that's how it should be. But I'm also glad that there's plenty of church going on when they're not here. So this is a good thing. It tells me you're not built on people. You're built on the Word of God and God Himself. You've, you've carefully, certainly, intentionally invited Him and His presence into this place today. And I think He heard your prayers. I believe he's visited us already. I think the things that I hear going on here, you're doing things intentionally. I talked to Brother Ron earlier today, and he talked about some of the prayer things that are going on. It's intentional pursuing God. And and I told him, and he probably reiterated it to me, if, if we don't intentionally pray, we won't pray. If we don't intentionally read our Bible, we won't read our Bible. If it's... If it's the last thing we do today, it will be the not thing we do today. Yep, we've got to somehow slide him in soon, or we won't. Amen. God bless you. So glad to be here. Uh, so many of you, I know I hate to start mentioning names at all, so I, I won't do that. I've already mentioned Brother Ron's name today. 
I was sitting in the second row there. I, I, I just sat there. Found out later that's where the pastor sometimes sits. And I thought, oh, I ought not be sitting here. I need to move to another spot. But I was sitting there <clears throat> remembering. And I remembered when Brother Ron worked at, at the headquarters building. We had chapel services, times of prayer, seeking God. And I can remember his outbursts of praise. He's kind of loud sometimes, you know. I can remember his outburst. And today I was sitting here and I thought, I wonder, does he still do that? <laughs> and I heard it. Above all of you other folk, I heard him and, and because I was listening for him. But I'm glad to know that, that people can live for God day in, day out, day in, day out. They're consistent with God because God's consistent with them. It's a wonderful relationship to all of you. I haven't mentioned all of your names. God bless you. Glad to be here with all of you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. My dad passed away about, oh, four or five years ago. And, and I have his Bible. This is a Bible that he had back in the 40s. He went to ABI, Apostolic Bible Institute, and he took this Bible. That was his Bible that he started his Bible college education with. Uh, he, was, he was a better student than me. He was valedictorian of his class. My brother was valedictorian of his class. He has three children. They were all valedictorians of their class. Uh, My brother got my dad's stuff, but I got dad's Bible. And so it was falling apart. It had been so many years. He had had it rebound once. And so after I got it, I decided I would rebind it, have it rebound again so I could continue to use it. It was, it was fragile. Pages were fragile, but a rebinding can tighten, strengthen that up. So now I'm still able to, to use it. I've been reading through his, his Bible, and I notice where he's underlined things, Mark things. He'll have a date there. That's and a, usually a city or church name, and that's where he preached that passage in that particular church. And I read that his his little deals. But but about a month ago, I came. You may be seated. Sorry about that. About a month ago, I was reading in his in his Bible, and I came across something that that just jumped out at me. It was not something that he had noted in the Bible. But I got my, my pen and I noted it in his Bible. Now that it's mine, I, it's the first time I'd done it. Uh, but I underlined a particular passage of Scripture. And it's found in the book of Ezekiel. How many of you have ever read the book of Ezekiel? Yeah. Do you understand it? Yeah. All this will in the middle of a will and the furnace and all this. Yeah. But there are some things in there that without any deep stuff, you can understand it. And this particular passage jumped out at me. Book of Ezekiel, chapter 11, verse 16. And I think they're going to put it up here. I see it. Now I can see it there. Thank you. This is the passage that, that stood out to me. One particular verse of it, or, or passage of that verse in particular, is what stood out to me. But in chapter my Bible flipped. Sorry about that. Here it is. Chapter 11, 
verse 16. Therefore, say, thus saith the Lord God, although I have cast them far off among the heathen, and although I've scattered them among the countries, yet will I be to them a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. That's the verse. And the thing that jumped out at me is that I will be unto them a little sanctuary. And I'd like to preach today. My voice will kick in gear. I'd like to preach today a little sanctuary. And it's a, it's a passage of Scripture. Now, for about a month, it's been worrying my mind in a good way. I've been, I've been reading it and rereading it going to different uh, resources, trying to find out more about it and why was it written and what did it mean and historically where did it fit in, in the history of the Jewish people and, and what did it mean and what, did, what really happened. And, and the more I studied, the more I, I got an understanding of it. But as I thought about preaching or teaching from that, I was kind of at a standstill. I couldn't, I couldn't make it come together like I really wanted it to come together. And I kept reading and praying and studying. And a little while back, I came across a sermon that Spurgeon, one of the old preachers back in London many years ago, that Spurgeon preached from this passage, and he called it a little sanctuary. I'd already come out with my title. I beat him to it. No, he beat me to it by several hundred years probably. But, and so I'm going to be borrowing from some of his structure of what he taught and presented. But I want to—I I pray that it will really, I, I don't want to just pick up another man's sermon. I don't think that is, that's right to do. Um, but he did a pretty good job of it, so I hate to not do it. But I would like to look at it. Some of this will be his, some of the structure, some of the things will be from me and the good Lord. And I guess maybe if I get it from Spurgeon, it may be coming from the Lord in a roundabout way. But, but I would like to look at this. And I would like to, if they just want to leave this, this verse of Scripture up there, I'll, because I'm going to walk through it a bit. Now, anytime you read a passage of Scripture or hear someone use the word therefore, you need to stop and see what it's there for. Now, that wasn't Spurgeon. What is it there for? Why is this passage, or what follows the therefore, why is it there? And when we look at this, we start to see some, um, some explanations of what God is doing in, in that particular time. Sometimes we, it has to be happening to us or we don't think it's important. But, but that's not always true. Sometimes it can happen to someone else and still be important to me. You know, I learned a long time ago that I don't need to have every experience and learn it for myself. Because sometimes the school of hard knocks is not an easy education. I thought if I can learn something from someone else, I may not have to walk that losing road, you know. So, 
So this is a time, and if I can learn something from Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 16, I think it will help me to walk the journey that I'm walking, and I trust it will help you walk the journey that you're journeying. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, although I have cast them far off among the heathen, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet will I be to them as a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. And when, when you think of that, you have to kind of take a little bit of things in the context of it. So if you drop back one verse and you read the preceding verse, it kind of pulls some things into proper perspective. So look at verse 15. Son of man, thy brethren, even thy brethren, the men of thy kindred and all the house of Israel, holy... Are they unto whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Get you far from the Lord, unto us is this land given in possession. Now at this particular time, we have to remember a little bit of Jewish history. Back in Deuteronomy, God started setting out some, some guidelines for his people. He wanted them to worship God and only worship God. Read the Ten Commandments that, that God started giving to the people. And he told them what to do. But along with the commandments of what to do came some promises of judgment if they did not do that. If you leave me, if you don't worship me, if you go after other gods, then I will remove you from my presence I will cast you out as long as you're serving me all is well I'm your protector I'm your guardian I'm your God but but when you start drifting when you start looking to other gods and and breaking my commandments I'm going to cast you out you know God is a God of judgment but he's also a God of mercy and in the life of God which has never never started and it will never end but in the life of God there are, some, there, there are some conflicting characteristics of God. One is he's a God of judgment. The other is he's a God of mercy. And when these things come together, his mercy is everlasting. His mercies are new every morning. And I want to I put that in my mind. New every morning. Now, with his promise to cast them out when they broke the law, he didn't cast them out the time they broke the first law. He didn't do that. He was tolerant. He was patient. He was forgiving. But after a while, the cup got full, and he cast them out. And that's, that's when you know King David had been around, his son was king, another son was king. The kingdom was divided when some two kings or men who wanted to be kings fought against each other. The kingdoms divided, Israel, Judah, two kingdoms. But some of them, for a while, they pleased God, and then they didn't please God, and the kings did evil in the sight of God. Finally, God had had enough, and the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom eventually both went into captivity. And it is this time that Ezekiel is coming on the scene with this chapter 11. So in chapter 11, what is happening is some of the people were driven to other countries. And when these other countries came over and, and overtook, won the battles and ransacked the temple and, and stole their crops and, and took their good guys back to their, their land, Daniel, the three Hebrew children, took them back to, the, to their land to be wise in their land. At that time, they, the kings also took some of the Jewish people over to their countries to be servants. 
but they also left a remnant of people back in Jerusalem. Uh, if, if they didn't leave people there, the wild beasts would come in, everything would crumble. So they wanted some people to kind of hold an economy that, they, that the foreign countries could benefit from. Those, that remnant who stayed there, they began to get lifted up, proud of themselves. We are the special people. We're still here. And they began speaking evil of the people who were carried off to another land. And that's where verse 15 comes about. If you read it again, the latter part of that, this is what the people back in Jerusalem were saying, told the, the, the ones who had to leave, go on, get you far off from the Lord unto us is this land given as our possession. And that the homeboys, the brethren, started talking bad about the other boys who were having to leave home. The other guys didn't leave because they wanted to. They didn't believe, didn't leave because they just chose to do it. They left because they were forced to leave. And yet the homeboys was proud that they got to stay there. And they were ridiculing. They were mocking them. They were speaking evil of them. And if the people could have took offense, they would have taken offense. But God did take offense to the brothers, talking about the brothers in the manner that they were. And then there's where, that's when God said, therefore. Let me tell you, this is what happened and now this is what I'm going to do. Therefore. Thus saith the Lord, although I have cast them far off among the heathen, and although I've scattered them among the countries, yet will I be to them a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. Now, this is, this is what Jesus, or God, had to say. But there's a few points I'd like to look at. I'm, I'm watching the clock. What time do y'all usually get out? One? When the Lord gets done. I love it. People say that as they're walking out going to dinner. I know the, I know the script. There's a few things. First thing I'd like to ask is where do God's people go in, the, in this story? Where do they go? And so I'd like to, to address it just a little bit. One of the, they went into chastisement. They didn't go to this new country so that they could be the, the richest man in the new country. There was a chastisement going on. They had broken the commandment of the Lord time after time. The cup was full. He was tired of it. And he cast them out to these other countries. He scattered them abroad in other countries. That's what God did to them. He scattered them abroad. And was that a, a comfortable time? No, it wasn't a comfortable time. Here are the people of God living in a foreign country among idolatry, among pagan ways, among evil doings, and they're there. Some of them are righteous people. David, or excuse me, Daniel, and quite a few others, they were righteous people, but they were swept out into this other country, scattered abroad with all of the unrighteous people. They didn't go there just for their sins. There was a whole history of sinfulness that filled the cup. And so they went out in mass because the cup of God's judgment was full. So where did they go? They went into Captivity, chastisement. You remember one verse in the scripture says that they ask us to, to play a song on our harps in this foreign country. 
when by the rivers of Babylon they sat down and wept. Yea, they wept when they remembered Zion. Then were they under the Lord's heavy hand. So here are these people in, in, in a foreign country under God's heavy hand of chastisement. This is where they are. And sometimes we're there. Sometimes we're in a land and, and a time of chastisement, not necessarily because of our sins. Sometimes it's because of a group. We will suffer as people of, of the United States of America because of the sins of the United States of America. We will possibly be blessed because of our God-fearing positions. But in the whole of things, we're going to suffer along with the people of the United States of America. When, when, the, when the nation lets hold of godliness, the whole nation suffers. We may be in a time of chastisement, but, but just remember a couple of things. Although he cast them to a place of chastisement, he said, I will be a little sanctuary for you. And, and I want to keep looking at that sanctuary thought just a little bit. The people were not sent to this foreign country because God hated them. They were sent to a far country. They were in captivity. It was a time of chastisement, but it was so God could bring them to an awareness of how they longed for that sanctuary back home. He said, oh, we, we wept in these foreign countries because we remembered Zion. We remembered how it was. And as we longed to go back there, God started wooing and calling them back. So there was a, a purpose. It was a, it was a rod of correction that he had for them, but not a sword of destruction. That's not what he called them to. It was a heavy rod, but it was not a, a rod of iron. It was a rod that bruised, but it was not a, a rod that destroyed. God was using that chast time of chastisement to bring them into position so that they could long for God in a way they hadn't before. One scripture said, his anger endureth for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And they were experiencing a night of, of anguish, a night of sorrow. But just for a small moment, one author said, have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on thee, saith the Redeemer. This is what God is intending to do. Secondly, I'd like to look at another little deal. Secondly, although I have cast them out and although I have resurrected them, I have cast them out is what God said. When you read the story, though, it was, it was Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar, the Chaldeans, all these other people that took them off into captivity. Someone else was doing the work, but God was the one pulling the strings. God was the one that was directing these foreign people to, to put God's folk into captivity. God did that. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't somebody else that was doing that to them. Was God. We sang a song this morning, the very first song 
the very first choice of song was a great choice of songs. It comes from the story of Job. You remember Job's story? One of his men came to him and said, Hey, a wind came, blew your house down, fell on your children, killed all your children. Another said some strange folks came and stole all of your crops, I mean all of your herds. And all these people coming and doing all these things, the Sabians, the Chaldeans, the, all these folks came in and destroyed Job's life. Not, not his physical life, but, but everything that he had, every, every possession. It was all wiped out. But yet Job said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. Now why would Job say that? It was, it was those Sabaeans that came and stole his animals. It was, the, it was the, the house that crashed on his children. Why would Job say it? It's because Job understood God's purpose. Job understood what God was up to. And he said, the Lord giveth. And the Lord taketh, but he closed it with this phrase, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Sometimes in your life, sometimes in my life, there are things that, that are taken from me, some things that are given to me, and if I'm not careful, I will say the devil did that. Or I would say that, that somebody else did that. I would say that somebody on the job was jealous of me and they, they filed a false report and I got fired and it was because of that guy that it was devil did it. The devil made me do it. When in reality, if we want to say that third little phrase, we've got to say the first two phrases. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. And then we can say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And this is what Jesus is, or God is saying when he talks to Ezekiel and the team here. He, he makes a statement. He says, therefore, thus saith the Lord, although I have cast them afar off among the heathen, and although I have scattered them among the countries. It was God that did it. We don't need to deal with Satan. We have no business with him. He's not doing anything to us that doesn't go by God first. We don't need to fool with this, this intermediate guy. We need to go to him. You've got an issue, got a problem, don't talk to the devil about it. It's not ultimately him. Nothing comes to you except it comes by God first. And so talk to God about it. But God, in this case, he talked to the people and said, I will be as a small or little sanctuary for you. You know, people, God's people deal in great discomfort. It's not a new thing for us to have bad times. Quickly, look, this is a quick historical. Abel was hated by Cain. Isaac was mocked by Ishmael. Joseph was among envious brothers. Moses was at first rejected by Israel. Remember the story? David was pursued by Saul. Elijah was haunted or, and, and hunted by Jezebel. Mordecai was hated by Haman. Remember all these Bible stories. And when we, when we think of how intertwined God's people are, that people mistreat us. It's just, it's, that's what's been historically true. And in this case, it was like that again. Not only were the, the homeboys back in, in Jerusalem scorning them, 
But where they were, they were scorned. They were, they were in, a, in a bad place. They weren't at home. Jewish people love to be home. They love their little house. They love their plot of land. They're, they're not, you know, the English people, they wanted to colonize the world. They'd go to India and try to colonize India. The, the, the Germans did that. The French, the Spanish, they colon, but the Jews didn't go and colonize places. They were content with what God had given them. And now God has taken them from that place of contentment and driven, scattered them throughout. And it's, it's a bad place. It's a bad time, but God is still with them. We've always been like that, and he is with us today. You know, even when Jesus was born, there was a prophecy that had gone forth saying, he said, I will call my son out of Egypt. This didn't just happen to the Jewish people who had to go down to Egypt when Moses rescued them, but even in the life of Jesus Christ, he was driven by situations to Egypt, but God drew him out of Egypt. It's a good thing to know that God helps us no matter where we are. But then the next question is, what does Jesus do for us when we are in a bad spot? What does Jesus do for us? And according to this passage of Scripture, he will become as a little sanctuary in the countries where, where we've been scattered. Not in a place of comfort, but in the countries where we've scattered. I will be to you as a little sanctuary. Now, this is a Bible-believing church. This church has sound Bible preaching and teaching, so I don't have to tell you all the little details because you know them. That's the wonderful thing. But back in Jerusalem, Solomon built a grand sanctuary. It was called the temple. Before that, there had been a tabernacle that was primarily carried through the wilderness from campsite to campsite. And when they finally got to the promised land, they settled down and they parked it there and didn't move it a lot, but it was still just a small tent. The tabernacle was only 15 foot wide, 45 foot long, 15 foot tall. That's not very big. No, that's six foot. Two of those is 12 foot, and just a little bit more makes 15 feet. The, the holy place, the first section, the first room of that little tabernacle was 15 feet wide, 15 feet tall, 30 feet long. But when you walk through there, there was a veil that shel sheltered the back part, this little back room. The back room was a cube, 15 feet wide, 15 feet deep, 15 feet tall. It was a very small room. And inside that room was furniture and stuff, but also that's where God dwelt. Now, by definition, we know God is everywhere. He fills the whole world, but yet he subjected, he limited himself to put himself in that holy place. The Ark of the Covenant was there. That was quite a belittling situation. For him to leave all of this and go into this little 15-foot cube and then into the three-foot or so Ark of the Covenant. But he did it. He, he condescended to be with the people. 
Solomon built his temple. It was much larger. It was much more grand and magnificent. It was the talk of the world. That was, it was a wonder of the world. It was a beautiful place. But people came in and ransacked it, destroyed it. They rebuilt it a couple of three times. And, and the temple was still there when Jesus was there. Um, but now these people are in, are in captivity. They can't bring Solomon's temple or whoever it was at that point. They couldn't bring that temple with them into this strange country. It was too big. They couldn't bring it. They couldn't whack off a piece of gold of it because the other guys had stolen it. So they go to this hated land and God said, I will be to you a little sanctuary. They didn't carry something as an idol with them, but God was with them. He was not there little as in tiny, small. But he was there as condescending one more step. Now I'm not in a 15 by 15 cube, but I am going to be with you as an individual. I'm going to be reachable by you. I'm going to be available to you. You don't have to go through a veil to get to me. I will be a sanctuary for you. In the land of your wanderings, in the land of your captivity, in the land where everybody around you is foreign to God's ways. You been there lately? Yeah. Went to a restaurant last night, my wife and I. Fast food restaurant. Bunch of kids sitting at the table here. One table here. I think five girls sitting there. Here, five guys sitting here. The oldest one might have been old enough to drive because my wife and I said, I wonder how they got here. There's no adult with them except there was one girl that may have been old enough to drive. And I had to walk between them to get from where I got my diet Dr. Pepper to where I sat down and ate stuff that wasn't diet. <laughs> got to start somewhere, you know. And I walked between them. And when I was walking between them, before I got between them, this, girl, this guy over here stole a french fry from that girl's plate. And she said him, told him something bold, out loud. She said something that was awful. I'm not going to repeat it. I just hate it. I even have to think it right now. But she said it to him. And in return, he said something horrible, awful, vulgar, nasty. Not as, not as much as hers, but nearly. He said it back to her. And then I had to walk right between them. I wanted to sit down and talk a while. I really did. Probably should have. It was so out of my normal talk. It was the world. And I told my wife, I said, did you hear what she said? And she said, no. And I didn't want to repeat it. So I said, well, it was horrible. She said, but that's the world. Yeah, that's the world. Their minds are hard, their mind think thoughts that aren't should not be expressed. You've been there? Yeah. You go to school? Yeah. You go to work? Yeah. You've been there. People whose lives are so different from an apostolic life. They're so impure compared to the purity that we have when we walk with Jesus Christ. 
But I just want to tell you, when you're in that fast food restaurant and it's the, the language is horrible, you have a sanctuary. You're like so many other churches, you don't have an altar bench. No problem. Still got an altar. But if this burns down tonight, I pray it don't. It looks like I'm a prophet. No. <laughs> if this would burn down tonight and these kneeling places were gone, you still have a sanctuary. You still have a little sanctuary of the Almighty. And then times walking through this life, I need that sanctuary. That's what God does when, when you get into that into that needy spot, God takes care of you. He definitely takes care of you. But let's go a little bit deeper. What's the sanctuary? <clears throat> Joab was running from Solomon. Solomon was king. Joab had done bad things to David. And so when Solomon became king, he was going to kill Joab. Joab ran to the sanctuary. And he held on to the horns of the altar because he thought it would be a place of refuge. It wasn't, but it was, a, it was common for people to go to the sanctuary to find a place of refuge. Later, in, in the medieval, medieval, medieval ages, the church the, the, was a sanctuary. I've known people in my lifetime who have gone to the church to be safe. We had a huge hurricane coming through South Louisiana. All of us went to the church. It was the worst structure in the world to face a hurricane in. It was kind of an A-frame ceiling. No, in, no inner structure to hold anything up. And that's where we went. Thankfully, God spared us. Everybody in that building were safe. That was good. Others were not safe in other buildings. But the, play, the sanctuary was a place of refuge. But I want to tell you, it's a place of refuge for you too. It's a place of refuge. This little one, it's one that's my size. It's one that fits me. It's one that's available to me. It's one that's been adapted to my needs. He made it for me. And when that time comes for me to need that sanctuary, nobody's going to offer to build me a synagogue. didn't happen back then. The king didn't say, hey, all of y'all are here now in my new country. I will build you synagogues for you. No. God himself became a little sanctuary for them in their time of, of captivity. God was still with them. I'm glad for the refuge because, because I have a refuge, I can flee from my sin to God's forgiveness. That's what my refuge does. I can flee from my accusing conscience to his pardoning love. I can flee from my daily cares to that sanctuary where he careth for me. I can flee from the accusations of Satan to the advocacy of my advocate. I can do that. I can flee from myself to the Lord. And there I can find refuge. He will be my 
all in all, he will be my refuge. One scripture says God is my refuge and an ever-present help in time of trouble. That's what God is. That's what that little sanctuary that I carry with me everywhere I go. I don't carry a little figure that has Jesus on a cross. That's not what I carry. But I carry his presence that is a little sanctuary for me. Hallelujah. Not only is it a place of refuge, this little sanctuary, any sanctuary from God, is a place of worship. So what can I do when I'm, when I'm in the need of a sanctuary, when I'm in need of a place to worship? I can call on Him. The Jewish people, they said they, they ask us to sing, play our harp and sing songs. and said, we can't do this in a foreign land. But I can worship Him in a foreign land when everyone around me is, is wanting me to tune my instruments to their tones. I don't want to do that. I want to give it unto Him. And so God allows me to have a private, individual, just for me, place of worship. I can worship Him. I can worship Him in spirit and in truth. This is the house of God. You remember the story of Jacob? Jacob, he's fighting with his brother. Finally, he has to kind of run for his life. And so his mother kind of directs him. And he runs looking. He's going to end up finding a wife. But he runs, and he ends up in the middle of nowhere. And he has a dream in the middle of the night. A stair, a stairway is here. Angels are ascending and descending into heaven. And he wakes up the next morning, and he knew not that God had been with him for a while, but then he realized, he said, how dreadful is this place. This is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. What did God do for him there? He gave him a little sanctuary. It wasn't a sanctuary. It wasn't the tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness. It wasn't Solomon's temple. But in the midst of him running for his life, unknowing what happens next, God provides for him a house of God, a house of worship. And he used it for that purpose. Hallelujah. Where we seek him, he is found, and every place is hallowed ground. Some people have the excuse, you know, I'd live for God, but there's no church, no apostolic church in my town. It's a bad excuse. Because you have a little sanctuary. Some people said it's too cold, the weather's too cold, I can't go to church, so I'll just, um, whatever. You have. A little sanctuary. How many of you have ever went into that sanctuary while you were driving your car? You've gone into that sanctuary. How many of you own your job, pressure's happening, and you have to step away around the corner and, and enter that sanctuary? And you feel the hovering of angels around you as you, as you relish that little sanctuary that God's given you. You've been driving in your car and all of a sudden it seems like you're driving on streets of gold because you've entered that sanctuary. You're worshiping, you're praising. Be pulled over for drunk if you go too much. Preacher back home, he was a great preacher. Um, had a little ego. He had gone and was preached a count meeting. It, Louisiana camp meeting. He was driving back to his home in Orange, Texas. I'm not going to tell you his name. 
And he was playing a tape of him preaching that night. Cassette tape. He was playing the tape, driving. And he got to worshiping God. And he kept crossing that little white line on the outside. He looked up there. There's a blue and red light. He pulls over. The policeman comes up. He rolls his window down. And the, the policeman look in. He says, call the preacher. Oh, brother. Gambling was in there. Brother Gambling. Are you okay? He said, yes, I'm okay. He said, well, you're driving a little erratic. Brother Gamlin said, yes, I was, I was listening to some good preaching. That's where a little ego kicked in. I was listening to some good preaching, and I just got excited about what the preacher was saying. I began believing again what the preacher was saying. I just got to worshiping God. I was speaking in tongues, and I really wasn't paying too much attention to my driving, so I was drifting a bit as I was raising my hand in the car, and the police said, well, I said, Brother Gamlin, uh, why don't you turn that tape off and drive on home? <laughs> but Brother Gamlin found his own little sanctuary. In this place, it was a special place from him. Now, I don't say all this to say you don't need to come here Wednesday night and start this season of prayer. I'm not saying you don't need to come together. The Bible teaches for us to forsake not the assemblings of ourselves together. So we need to do this. But I just want to tell you, you can't always be here. But when you're not here, there is still a traveling sanctuary that is with you wherever you go. Good times, bad times, troubled situations, situations you wish you were not a part of because, but you've been sucked into it by your job or whatever else. You've sucked into it. You're going to school and the people around you doing this crazy stuff and, and you just have to reach for that, that little sanctuary. I want to assure you, it'll be there. What's another thing about that sanctuary? Well, in the sanctuary, it was known as a place of stillness. When the, when the high priest once a year would go into the holiest of holies, they would press through the veil. They were there. The blood was applied. But they walked into this place. And here's the, here's the this odd-shaped little box here. A cherubim over here and a cherubim over here, wings touching each other, wings touching the wall. Nothing is said. You don't read where the priest said anything in there. The mercy seat was on top of the ark. There was some writing on it, but nothing really that we read was said there. It was a place of stillness, a place of quiet. There's sometimes in the wildness of your life, you wish you could get some stillness with him. But you can't come to this building at that particular time. How many of you have ever been to this building when it's just you and you have a meeting with God? Yeah. But you can't always get here. But when you need that stillness, when, when your life is fractured with all of the noise and the, the busyness and the static that you hear and experience, God will be that stillness for you. That's, that's one of the things that you can experience from Him, in Him, in that little sanctuary. But one of the other things is the, the sanctuary is a place of mercy. Here's the Ark of the Covenant. The mercy seat is on it. The cherubims are there. 
but written on it, mercy seat. What do you think happens there? Some say it's the only place we have record of God sitting down is in the place of mercy. He's not there in that little 15-foot cube, nor is He here in your little sanctuary. He's not here to bludgeon you with fault-finding. He's not looking to find all of your errors. He's not looking to tell you all about your bad deeds. What He is waiting there, He is sitting on that mercy seat waiting for you to come to Him because He's merciful. And in your walk through this life, if you're like me, you've stubbed your toe. You have sinned and come short of the glory of the Lord. Brother Ron mentioned his own problems that his wife could tell us volumes about. No, we all fall short of the glory of the Lord. And when I fall short and I, and I need His mercy, I can't run to here. I can't run and have counsel with the pastor. Not always. I feel so tainted. I feel so dirty. I used to work at, at an army base. I was the second year of college or whatever, and I'd gone there. I was assistant pastor there for the, for the whole summer, just as a summer intern, doing their music, bus ministry, all kind of fun, crazy stuff, but also had to work and need to eat. So I worked at the army base, and I worked at the supply ammunition depot there as a civilian. And there was a man who was over me, who was the cussingest, most vile, most vulgar man I've ever met in my life. I don't even like to say his name. Brings it all back. But he was nasty, vulgar. You know, some people cuss, and it's kind of funny. And have you ever laughed kind of in your mind about somebody? They made a cuss, and it was just kind of humorous the way they put it all together, you know. Didn't know they could do it like that. But other times it's so vulgar and nasty, and he trashed women as low as they could be trashed. It was vulgar. And after living through that for eight hours one day, it was a Wednesday night, I had to lead the service. So I come to service, and I prayed a little bit, didn't have much time, get up to the pulpit, and I'm saying, I'm so glad to be here now. And a, one of his kind of expressions almost came out. I mean, it was just that close. And it was bad. I don't know why it came out, except I'd been hearing it all day long. And I had to step back from the pulpit. They probably thought I was crazy. I stepped back from the pulpit, and I prayed. I just closed my eyes and prayed. Lord, not aloud. They didn't need to hear that. I prayed silently. I said, Lord, you know what just nearly happened, and I know what just nearly happened. I want you to wash my mind right now. Purge all those filthy language that I've been hearing all day, every day, eight hours a day. Purge that out of my mind right now. I've got to step to this pulpit clean and pure. God, don't let that be in my mind. What did I do? I got into my little sanctuary with God. And His mercy was there. He didn't beat me over the head for nearly saying that. He didn't even praise me for not saying that. He just was merciful and answered my prayer and purge my mind and I was able to step back to the pulpit with a praise in my heart because that guy's words were not there anymore 
what do you do? You come to this place where mercy is. On the, of the mercy seat, God said in one place, I will meet you there. That's what the mercy seat is. I will meet you there. I want to tell you, in your foreign land that you live in, we're just pilgrims and strangers here. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. But in this foreign land that we're passing through, we have a little sanctuary. We think of God condescending to get into that 15 by 15 room or that three foot square box, a little less than that. Or we think when, when in this passage from Ezekiel that God condescended a little bit more to, to become a, a, a little sanctuary for us. If you think 15 foot square is little, how much little? But you know that, that little makes it fit me. Makes it kind of cozy, believable, available, achievable. Because it's in Him that I move and breathe and have my being when I'm in that little sanctuary. But if you think that's condensation, what about when He left heaven and He came down to earth as a little baby with an intention of dying on a cross for me? So that he could send his spirit back and dwell inside me. Not just a sanctuary that I run in, but I become the temple that he dwells. That's condescension. What condescension? I'm so thankful that he did it. It's a place of condescension. It's also a place of holiness. Separation from the world. The world is crazy. The language of the world is awful. The attitudes of the world is awful. Everything that it presents to us so often is awful. And we live here. But yet he's, when we're, when we're overcome almost by all of the unholiness going on, we can come into this little sanctuary and we can appreciate and understand and enjoy his holiness and what it brings to us. I'm thankful that there's all kind of things that we can learn about of the sanctuary. Last thing. It's a place of light and revelation. At that mercy seat, God's present, there was a, there was a, a light there in the middle of it. His word is a lamp and a light unto me. Inside that, that ark were three things. One or two passages of Scripture lend itself to this. Other passages speak as if it was removed, they were removed at some point. But one of the things that was in there was Aaron's rod that budded. And it represents the miraculous ability of God that keeps on refreshing. It buds, it bears fruit. So it doesn't just remain alive stagnant. It remains alive productive. That's what he wants for us. Speaking of culture change and reaching others, we're not just stagnantly alive. We're abundantly alive. Not just to flower and smell good and be attractive, but we're here to bear fruit. 
The second thing that was in there was a pot of manna, a golden pot of manna. The manna was, was the provision of God. That's what they ate. But it's also it's symbolic of the word of God that fills us and thrills us. And it's, it's ever, it keeps coming. Every day it's there. That's the word of God. And, and that was one of the things that was in there. Third thing was in there was the law of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. But they were not broken. Man broke the Ten Commandments. Moses literally broke them in his anger, but men have broken them ever since. But in that ark was an unbroken set of commandments. And when I break them, I can go into my little sanctuary because in there is an unbroken set. I can get a new lease on life. I can go back to the one who never broke them. He wrote them, but he didn't break them. I can go back to him, and I can receive not only that, the law, but the power to live above the law, the power to be conquering over temptations. There are things that God has for me. I'm glad those tables were unbroken. Hallelujah. I've rambled around. I've given you a little history. I've given you a little history of the nation of Israel and their sins and casting into foreign countries. I've given to you a little information about the the real tabernacle in the wilderness, about Solomon's temple a little bit. But I wanted to talk today about that little sanctuary. God said, I will be that. He didn't say, I will build it for you. I'll get somebody else to do it. But he said, I will be that for you. Now, literally, that's what he provided for those those people who were in the foreign countries, foreign nations under chastisement, captivity. That's what he did for them. But we can take that a step further into our current experience with Jesus Christ. I am so glad that he's left us the promise that we can be filled with his Holy Spirit. I'm glad that he made the promise to us and the commandment to us that we can be baptized in his name. That's not a threat. That's not a chore. He is is putting everything that is his disposal, he's given it to us. Everything that he can do, he offers that. He even said greater things than this shall you do. Why? Because he's made us a little sanctuary. And we become the temple that he dwells in. He has not left us helpless. He's not left us hopeless. He has provided for us, even as we are called to wander through this heathen land. We speak a heavenly language when we get the Holy Ghost. That's a glorious thing. But it's just the earnest of our inheritance. Because at some point, He's going to call those people who have been chastised and scattered, He's going to call them back to the real sanctuary. You know, there is a heaven. There's no temple there. You know why? Because God is the temple thereof. There's no sun and moon and stars because He's the light thereof. Disease, no. Sickness, no. Sadness, no. Turmoil, no. Why? 
because we've lived in the wilderness in the protection of that little sanctuary. And now he's calling us home. Why can we go home? It's because we've abided in his sanctuary here. We've allowed him to dwell in us and us in him. You know, he said of him and the Father, I and my Father are one. In Christ dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But he poured his Spirit out into us. And one day, I'm going home. As one wonderful lady saying, I'm going home to Jesus. In the twinkling of an eye. Y'all know that song? I can see some nodding. Yeah. I'm going home. But I'm not just going home alone. I'm going home with the sanctuary that I've enjoyed all my life. All my spirit-filled life. I've enjoyed it. Shall we stand today? <clears throat> when you're wandering in the wilderness, you realize you can't do it by yourself. But we can turn to Him who is our all in all. Inside that little 15 by 15 by 15 room was everything the Jewish people needed. Every provision came from that little room, what was in there. What was symbolized by in there. But it was all because of a God who had a plan, lived the plan, and offered us the benefits of the plan. The plan of salvation. Amen. Hallelujah. What do you think? You think you want to take advantage of that little sanctuary you have with you? You think it's, you think it's worth you thinking about every day when life gets tough and stress pressures you that you can take a deep breath, shut the world out, and enter into His presence. There's fullness of joy there. Enter into His presence. With thanksgiving, I'm glad that we have him here, and I'm glad he's going to take us there. It's not, a, it's, it's not just this, but this is helping us to get there. <clears throat> Hallelujah. So this morning, if you've never <clears throat> even thought about that little sanctuary, and the word little is not to be little, it it's just to say it's, it's available. It's approachable. It fits you. You can get to it. It's close. It's near. It's still powerful. The same God that helps in this little sanctuary is the God that dwelt in that 15 by 15 by 15 room. I want to be in that little sanctuary. When I was driving here this morning, I had a little over an hour to be in that little sanctuary. I turned the radio on when I left it first. And I says, I hadn't gone, I'd probably not three miles. I said, you know, I don't want that. Click it off. Well, I really did that. Punched it off. I said, Lord, I want to enter into your sanctuary. And it was just like a rush of air or water or something just swept over me as I felt secure. I felt safe in that little sanctuary. Any of you ever felt it? 
Yeah. And do you think you'll need it this coming week? Yeah. Yeah, we will. And he's not going to remove it from us. I'm going to be that for you, he said. Hallelujah. I'd like for us to pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you today. I thank you for every promise in your word. 